Welcome to the Fallon Forum, where we bring you progressive voices and civil dialogue from across the political divide. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're coming to you today from the heart of America's heartland from Des Moines, Iowa, where it is a beautiful week and planting has begun. Before I give you a rundown on today's program, let's thank a couple of our local business partners. A thank you to Gateway Marketing Cafe, Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. You can now order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Market and Cafe. Thanks also to Story County Veterinary Clinic, where Dr. Kim Holding has been caring for all creatures, great and small, for over 30 years. Learn more at Story County Veterinary Clinic's Facebook page, or just give Dr. Holding a call at 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. So before I talk with you about what I've learned in my conversations with Iowa Trump voters, just a brief uh, outlook on what's ahead here. We're going to be talking about pipelines, uh, Atlantic Coastal, Keystone, and mostly about the Dakota Access Pipeline. We'll also talk about voter suppression, Midwest style. It's happening everywhere, and we've got our flavor here. We'll also talk about hate crimes against Asian Americans. They're on the rise. We're going to talk with uh, Kendrew Panyanabong about that. Uh, we'll also be talking with Kathy Burns about April Garden Q&A stuff. She's with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Looking forward to that. I've had 13 conversations on this program with Iowa Trump voters. And these involved quite a bit of effort on my part and on their part. And I respect that they're busy people as well and pleased they were willing to take time to talk. One thing I have learned that is absolutely clearly to me is that these Trump voters are not, they're not a monolithic universe. They're not all one type of person. You know, I, and again, I could continue to do this for 52 weeks as I had planned, except that it's, you know, I'm not sure how much more I'm going to learn. Um, I want to keep these conversations going. I want to continue to invite Trump voters on this program. But I think given all the other priorities we need to talk about, I'm not going to commit anymore to just doing it every single week. It's just so much work. And there are diminishing returns. And I think this is a really good point in this process after three months of, um, of, of sharing takeaways. Uh, what, I, what I have learned, what I feel is of value to this process. Uh, first of all, let me get this straight right away. Trump voters are not all misogynist, racist, racist and stupid. I, I wish people would get that out of their heads, stop putting that online. You know, I mean, sure, there are some out there, but no, not all, not even most, are racist, misogynist, and stupid. So go ahead. If you want, cancel me. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I refuse to buy into that rhetoric that these are all bad people. Now, most feedback from listeners that I get, uh, and from those reading my blog as well, most of that's been positive. Some are mixed, uh, like this one. Um, Again, again, from a strong progressive Democrat. Uh, regarding one Trump voter I talked with, he says, I think this guy's a right-wing idiot, <laughs> and he and I have nothing in common. I would never bother talking to him, but I give you props for making the effort. Okay, so that, there's something <laughs> of value there. Thanks for the props. But, uh, and I understand, you know, there are people on the right as well who don't want to talk to, quote, left-wing idiots and that is going to get us nowhere. One thing that surprised me uh, is that many people who voted for Trump did so without a lot of enthusiasm. For many, perhaps most of the people I talked with, it was more of an anti-Joe Biden vote. Uh, and even more so in 2016, it was absolutely an anti-Hillary Clinton vote. And that may be the difference between why Biden won in 2020 and Clinton lost in 2016. The um, Another important takeaway is the common ground that we identified. Uh, you know, I asked, uh, I didn't ask every Trump voter I spoke with these questions, uh, but there were 11 questions that I ran by most of them. And most of those people I talked with agreed on nearly all these priorities. Now, they, these aren't all typical, quote, Democratic priorities, but they're important to me. And I know they're important to a lot of Democratic voters, a lot of independent voters. And what I found was that they're important to Trump voters as well. And I'll run through the list. Uh, first of all, one, 
The amount of money spent on political campaigns is obscene. All but one person agreed with that. <laughs> uh, the average person pays too much in taxes. Everyone agreed with that. And, you know, I, I know there are Democrats out there who say, I like paying taxes. And I'm saying, don't say that. Uh, if you have to say that, say it uh, like quietly in a, in a room somewhere. Don't announce that any more than you announce that you like listening to repeated uh, recordings of Hootie and the Blowfish, okay? Th th those aren't going to get you anywhere. Uh, <laughs> telling people that you like paying taxes is like saying you like having little needles stuck into your eyes. I mean, it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. It's bad messaging. And really, is it true? Do you really like paying taxes? I don't. And I do think um, that I pay too much. And I, I'm honestly, I don't like where a lot of it goes. But I understand the value of taxation. I think most people I talk with, including Trump voters, understand that we have to pay something in taxes. The bottom line is folks feel we pay too much. Hard to argue with that. Third point, antitrust laws intended to prevent monopolies are weak or non-existent. I didn't know how that would play with my Trump voter friends, but they almost all agreed that, yes, antitrust laws should be stronger. Four, the federal government has grown too big and intrusive. Everybody agreed with that. And I know some Democrats won't agree with that. I think most probably will. And I think it's something we can rally around and try to find ways of addressing the increasing size of the federal government. Again, too big in some areas and not doing enough in others. Fifth, uh, more power needs to stay with local governments instead of the state or feds. That's kind of a compliment to the uh, fourth uh, item. Of course, if we're going to have, we need government for the most part some level of, uh, of involvement in our lives where our collective vision is, is implemented through our elected officials and whatnot. Yeah, and that should be to the greatest extent possible at the state or federal level, uh, or sorry, at the state or local level. But, um, you know, and maybe we would, maybe me and some of my Trump voter friends would disagree when it comes to, for example, water and air. Although I think most would agree that since water and air do not stay at, for example, a city or a county or a state boundary, they tend to just keep going, that maybe there's some regional or national or even global involvement needed to regulate those, uh, to those public amenities properly. Uh, seven, no, oh, no, six, governments spend too much on taxpayer handouts to corporations. Again, everybody agreed with that. Even though when I was a lawmaker, there were a, Democrats and Republican elect, elected officials seemed to get behind the idea that we had to take taxpayer money and pick winners and losers. Although I would, I'll tell you this, more Democrats tend to support that than Republicans, although it was, there, it was a problem on both sides of the aisle. In fact, one time, I remember, I was the only lawmaker to vote against a big handout to a, a corporation in Western Iowa. Uh, so, but among the Trump voters I talked with, they almost all agreed on that. They, all, they also agreed that the corporate-owned mainstream media's focus is to preserve the status quo. And I think they, they would agree, not just CNN and ABC, NBC, they would agree that Fox News as well is part of the problem there. Although, according to Pew Research from last year, January of 2020, about two-thirds of Republicans and Republican leaders say they trust Fox News as a source. That's interesting and disturbing a bit. So um, the eighth question I would ask, supporting local business is better than spending money at Chains or Amazon. Everybody agreed. And again, that's very consistent with a, a Gallup poll that, um, that's, well, it's, it's, a, it's, a, it's a study that looks at Gallup polls from the 70s through today. And while support for Congress has plummeted, <laughs> confidence in churches down, public schools down, newspapers down, big business and banks way down, the two things that have actually gone up in, in terms of popular support since the 70s the U.S. military, and small business. Interesting. So yeah, there is universal support in this country for small businesses, yet the challenge is we craft these laws that don't help small businesses, they help the big guys. But the fact that Trump voters agree that that's important, that's a great starting point. Uh, ninth, uh, I asked uh, voters if they prefer to buy food from local and organic sources. Nearly everyone said yes. Actually, two of my interviewees were organic farmers. Uh, tenth, the First Amendment and our freedom of speech is being eroded. They totally agreed with that. And eleven, individuals and governments must do more to address climate change 
That was a mixed bag. And, and climate change was probably my biggest disappointment in these conversations because the denier machine is so powerful. It has convinced people that science is not to be believed. And that, that's a much longer conversation. Finally, I want to get to um, <clears throat> the final point here. Lessons for the Democratic Party. That's probably the biggest takeaway from these conversations. And it's not that the Republican Party is so deeply loved and Trump hugely popular. It's, it's that the Democratic Party and the status quo of this country have combined. In people's minds, the Democratic Party is the status quo party. And it is seen as having left the average working American behind, especially in rural America. And, you know, sure, the Republican Party, uh, we know, some of us know, uh, that they aren't ever going to actually do anything to help most of us. But the Democratic Party hasn't, just, hasn't demonstrated it can't or will fill that void. So, you know, here's a fascinating takeaway related to that from my conversations. When I asked Trump voters if there was anyone running for president on the Democratic side in 2020, they could have supported nearly every single person of the 13 I talked with said Tulsi Gabbard. Other candidates got one or two mentions, uh, Andrew Yang, uh, John Delaney, uh, Amy Klobuchar, it was somebody else blanking now. But, but let that sink in. Nearly everyone I've talked with would have supported or considered supporting Tulsi Gabbard. Now, by any measurement, Gabbard is a progressive Democrat. She uh, supported Bernie Sanders in 2016, which, of course, is how her down, downfall within the Democratic Party began. Uh, Hillary, Hillary Clinton did not... Uh, I care very much for the fact that Gabbard, then the vice chair of the DNC, supported Sanders. So, and, and that kind of brings me to another Gallup poll. This one from just a month and a half ago, February of 2021. 62% of Americans say a third party is needed. And that's nearly the highest ever. Most Republicans agree a third party is needed. Now, not all have the same vision of what that third party looks like. But only 33% of Americans believe the two major political parties are doing an adequate job representing the public interest. So, you know, as bad as things are for the Democratic Party, um, <laughs> they're bad for the Republican Party, too. But uh, they're only going to continue to get worse because Democrats haven't figured this out yet. I haven't figured out how to, they have not figured out how the importance of listening. Uh, they don't want to talk to these people. They don't need them. We can just work on building an alliance of urban voters and suburban voters and to heck with rural America. Well, that's not working very well, is it? So anyway, I, these conversations have been great, fascinating, helpful, and I'm looking forward to continuing them. I will not be doing one every week. Some of you may be disappointed. Some may be relieved. Be that as it may, that's what makes sense to do right now. I'll be back in a minute, folks. We're going to talk about uh, pipelines, uh, take a look at the Atlantic Coast Pipeline, but also the Dakota Access Pipeline, back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Market and Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Architecture by Synthesis provides planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance affordable homes and buildings. Owner Mark Klipsham has been doing this work for over 30 years on a wide variety of project types, specializing in super-insulated structures made from, wait for it, grain bins. Yup, with the right experience, tools, and creativity, so much is possible. View images of projects and learn more at architecturebysynthesis.com. That's architecturebysynthesis.com. Uh, thanks to our local nonprofit partners, thanks to Bold Iowa, building rural urban coalitions to address climate change, to prevent the abuse of eminent domain, and to protect Iowa's soil, air, and water. You can learn more at boldiowa.com. Thanks also to Birds and Bees Urban Farm, offering classes on how to turn your yard into dinner. Get information about classes and workshops at birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. That's birdsbeesurbanfarm.org. 
www.dukeenergy.org. All right, so uh, two of the nation's largest utility companies, Duke Energy and Dominion Energy, announced last year that they had canceled the Atlantic Coast Pipeline. This is a, a huge deal. This is a natural gas pipeline that would have come across the Appalachian Trail to the coast. And um, they'd gone so far as to basically purchase through eminent domain, or as some call it, stealing land. Uh, they'd, they'd, they'd had eminent domain used um, to the point where they had 98% of the land they needed controlled. And suddenly, boom, they're out. They're abandoning it. And um, it was a big deal. Uh, now, what they, uh, they, they cite delays and rising costs. And, well, okay, rising costs, delays, what's that about? Well, apparently, um, a lot of it has to do with lawsuits that were filed by landowners and environmentalists who were hoping to, again, block the project for various reasons, for the abuse of eminent domain, for the uh, uh, damage to the environment, for the uh, climate impact. And energy, uh, let's see, Dominion Energy and Duke Energy both said that, uh, that their costs had increased to as much as $8 billion from the original $4.5 billion that they had first estimated the pipeline to cost when they announced it back in 2014. That's huge and significant. Uh, of course, uh, we've also seen the Keystone Pipeline canceled, this time by Joe Biden. Uh, that was a little remarkable because... Uh, you know, four years earlier, Donald Trump, one of his first actions was to sign an executive order allowing that pipeline to proceed. And yet the folks in Nebraska and elsewhere were able to um, mount enough opposition where it never got built. And now it's canceled. Yeah, I'm not a huge fan of cancel culture, but if it means canceling a pipeline, I'm OK with that. I wish that President Biden would step forward now and cancel the expansion of the Dakota Access Pipeline. Actually, I'd love to see it canceled altogether. Uh, I mean, to be consistent with his plans for energy independence, for moving beyond fossil fuel, you would have to want to shut down the Dakota Access Pipeline. Well, gosh, at a minimum, you'd want to prevent the expansion from happening. And now this is a fairly big week here in the upper Midwest because across Illinois, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, they are wanting to, Energy Transfer wants to put in changes, they call them improvements, changes to allow them to double the flow of oil from 570,000 barrels a day to 1.2 million a day. The work was already started in Illinois on one of three sites there. I'm not sure what's going on in South or North Dakota. We have the lawsuits uh, filed by some of the native tribes in North Dakota that have been um, slowing things down quite a bit and getting the Army Corps of Engineers to do a much better job of examining what the environmental impact could be. Here in Iowa, there's one site that Energy Transfer wants to expand. That's at Cambridge, Iowa, halfway between Des Moines and Ames. And we just received notice late last week, Friday in fact, that they plan to start that, that work this week. And so uh, there's a lot of concern about that. And um, there you know, it's, it's hard to know what should happen or what might happen uh, beyond one thing that obviously should happen. And that is Joe Biden, President Biden, needs to keep his promise. And several times on the campaign trail in 2019, uh, Biden said to me and others, we heard it, we have it on tape, take my word as a Biden, I've never broken my word. And then he went on to talk about various times about his opposition to the Dakota Access Pipeline. I'm going to play you three clips from this one gathering. It, it was the Asian Latino Coalition, the Iowa Asian Latino Coalition, and they had an event for every candidate, and Joe Biden spoke at one, and Kathy Burns with, with uh, Bold Iowa asked a question. I won't play her whole question. Her whole question is, is, is longer, but she mentions very specifically the Dakota Access Pipeline. As someone who lived on the route of the Dakota Access Pipeline, I know all too well the threat that infrastructure like that poses, not just to farmers and landowners, but to indigenous populations, to minorities, and to marginalized people in the U.S. and worldwide. Again, that's Kathy Burns asking Joe Biden about his position on pipelines. And here's part of uh, then-candidate Biden's response. We are in a position to be able to, in fact, remain energy independent by moving to complete 
total elimination of fossil fuels by the year 2050, starting now. Ending all, no, no, let me, let me explain it. I, I'm starting with the fact that no more subsidies at all for any, any fossil fuel industry. He wants to start now. And, and to start now, again, means you don't want to expand these pipelines. So I'll play you one more clip from, uh, from President Biden's response. I've been opposed to that pipeline from the beginning you're talking about for three reasons. It's among the dirtiest oil in the world. Mm -hmm. It, in fact, has the highest sulfur content of most any oil in the world. It's the dirty crude, not the cleaner crude. So I'm not sure what, uh, what President Biden means by cleaner crude, but he very specific, and you, you should watch this video. He, he's looking directly at Kathy, and, and she has talked to him about the Dakota Access Pipeline, about living on the route. Uh, you know, that's the pipeline running through Iowa. And she says it by name. She mentions it very clearly. And he says, I've been opposed to it. Well, gosh, um, President Biden, if you're opposed to it, shut it down. Uh, and especially and if, if that's too hard of a lift, and it shouldn't be, if it's too hard of a lift, at least shut down the proposed expansion. You know, don't let Dakota Access go any further than, they want, than they're already going right now. They, they've already begun work on uh, the proposed expansion in Illinois. Um, Again, not sure about North Dakota, South Dakota, but here in Iowa, it's just about to begin. Stop it now. And again, I know we have the courts taking action on the Standing Rock Sioux and, and other Native tribes, uh, their actions, uh, their legal actions. And, uh, you know, those, those still, I mean, we were right, right, and we're waiting on that, but we're also waiting on the Army Corps of Engineers to do a better job at analyzing the impact. So we have that as well. But, you know, we could save ourselves a lot of time trouble, money, headache, if we just went ahead right now and stopped it from going any further. So uh, I'll play you one more clip, but this one's a little bit hard to hear, but this is also Kathy. Uh, there were a bunch of us doing this, but Kathy was able to sneak in a couple really good questions. This is her asking Biden about the Dakota Access Pipeline at an event at Living History Farms, outdoors, lots of background noise. I hope you can hear it. Kathy says, you know about the Dakota Access Pipeline? He says, yes, I've opposed it to begin with. Uh, and she, she says, you know about them doubling it? And he, he, he confirms that he understands this, that he's been against it, and that he's been speaking out against it. So, you know, President Biden, you said you were a man of your word. You said, as a Biden, I give you my word. And so here's your chance to prove it. Uh, and again, I, I, I'm going to believe you. You said you would shut down Keystone. You did. You said you're opposed to Dapple. You need to do that as well. As we look at some of the other pipeline projects, Line 3, uh, that's another example of a pipeline that uh, should not be built. Uh, I mean, if we're going to get to the point where we, we move beyond uh, exacerbating the climate crisis, and again, I, I commend President Biden on taking some significant action his first, his first couple months in office. I mean, it's been, it's been a whirlwind, and it's been impressive. Back to my first segment. <laughs> uh, Democrats being the party of the status quo. Uh, Democrats having the chance to do something, to show something, and failing to do it. Iowa, now a solid red state, and getting redder, by the way. If you look at voter registration data from December through March, Democrats have actually lost registrations. Republicans have lost a few, not as much, where the momentum is in Iowa is independent voters. Um, independent voters are now 50% of the electorate. The bottom line is, you, you know, you, if you're a Democrat, you've got to demonstrate where you stand and what you believe in. I mean, I, I guess that, the good, that could be said of Republicans as well. But, you know, Democrats in Iowa had the chance to do something significant back in 2007 through 2010 when they controlled the governor's office, the House, and the Senate, and they failed. Here's a chance to begin to do something. I mean, again, stopping the Dakota Access Pipeline from doubling is not just something that Democrats would be happy with. Look at all those landowners, farmers, um, native communities all along the pipeline route, not just this route, the, the DAPL route through Illinois, Iowa, North Dakota, South Dakota, but the other pipelines as well. Start, you know, taking a stand on those 
And showing that you're opposed to eminent domain being used for a private purpose, show that you're willing to, you know, to take an action that would that would protect our water, and at the same time taking a big stab at significant climate action, you know, that that would say something about where Democrats stand. Anyway, I hope the president does it. I hope that here in Iowa, people begin to speak out against this proposed expansion because, you know, nothing has been happening all winter. Now it's going to begin, and we'll see what we'll see where they go with this. How serious energy transfer is about continuing this expansion, but I think people need to know about what's going on and to speak up against it. Anyway, this is Ed Fallon, your host, uh, folks, here on the Fallon Forum. When we come back from a short break, we're going to be talking about voter suppression Midwest style. Gateway Markets Rewards Program is now free for all Gateway shoppers. You can sign up in person or via Gateway's online shopping site to earn points by shopping in person and online. Redeem those points for discounts at the time of your purchase. The program is valid for everything except catering or cafe purchases. And Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. Noche is the premier home in Des Moines for jazz and cabaret. With its prime downtown location, Noche attracts both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. You can also enjoy the progressive sounds of one of America's longest-running jazz orchestras, the Des Moines Big Band. Noche offers a world-class cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates, too. Noche on Walnut Street, south of the Sculpture Park in downtown Des Moines. Thanks to our local business partners for helping to make this program possible, including Architecture by Synthesis, where Mark Clipsham offers planning, design, and design-build services for high-performance, low-maintenance homes and buildings. Architecture by Synthesis specializes in environmentally friendly designs, including highly insulated structures made from grain bins. That's Architecture by Synthesis. Before I talk about the voter suppression law passed in Iowa, I want to I want to tell you about Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pate. So most people around the country, if they're paying attention to politics, probably know about the, the, um, the congressional race here that came down to six votes out of 400,000 cast, six votes, one of the closest races in history. And the Republican, Marionette uh, Miller-Meeks, won by six votes, but the Democrat, Rita Hart, challenged the election because there were votes that weren't counted correctly. So I'll talk about that. But, but first, um, you know, Paul Pay, the Republican Secretary of State, argued that, well, the, 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 uh, the election should have been decided at the, at the state level. And the initial ruling was at the state level that Miller Meeks had won. Hart says not so fast. There's a bunch of votes that didn't get counted. You know, there's not there's not a, an appropriate provision for them to be counted here in the state. We're going to let the U.S. Congress take a look at it, which struck some people as being political because the U.S. Congress is controlled by Democrats. Now the House is controlled by Democrats. And um, the concern was, well, Democrats will just end up ruling in a partisan way. Well, that didn't happen. In fact, Rita Hart felt the um, the uh, pressure, uh, the 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 the. Uh, the hearing that was proposed was so politicized at this point, she just backed out and said, to heck with it, I withdraw my request to Congress to investigate. And meanwhile, um, the people accusing the process of being politicized have politicized it to a disgusting degree. Here's Paul Page, Secretary of State of Iowa, sending out a letter published in the Iowa Capitol Dispatch where he says, um, stop Pelosi. <laughs> Again, this has nothing to do with Pelosi. Uh, he says, um, you know, he calls it a tragedy that this race has gone to Congress. If this, quote, tragedy doesn't underscore how much it matters who our Iowa Secretary of State is, I don't know what does. Just imagine if, it, if there was a, quote, liberal Democrat sitting in the Iowa Secretary of State's office who was willing to ignore the will of the people and walk in lockstep with House Speaker Nancy Pelosi. 
So he's asking people to send him money so he can keep campaigning to be Secretary of State again. He's, he's, he, there's, no, there's no worse way to politicize this and then what he's just done. So, um, you know, again, there were 22 legally cast ballots that were not counted. And uh, as Hart's campaign analyzed those ballots, it became clear that if they were all counted, she would have won by nine votes instead of losing by six votes. So, you know, it's important to look at who, look at who these actual voters are. Here's one, Torje Lockland. Um, he's a student at the University of Iowa. He had issue with the glue on the envelopes. He voted in person in Iowa City, and then he pressed down to seal the envelope, went on his way, didn't realize the ballot was not counted because the envelope didn't seal properly. Democratic Party officials showed up at his home to tell him that his ballot had not been counted. Then there's Mike Overholt, also in Johnson County, Iowa City. Election officials threw out his ballot for not being properly sealed. Again, same thing, the glue, a glue problem. You know, the glue, uh, again, these ballots come from the Secretary of State, Paul Pate, who is politicizing this thing. Uh, so the glue was not good enough, didn't seal. His ballot was also not counted. Then there's Sadie Romberg, um, a student, uh, an Iowan, who is a student at the University of Illinois. She requested an absentee ballot, as she has every right to do. She got it, um, said it was already sealed shut. Um, she says, quote, when I got it, it was already sealed, probably from the rain or something. She unsealed the envelope, placed her ballot in it, and then resealed it using tape. Big mistake, right? Although there was no other way, to, I guess you could have sealed it with glue. Maybe she didn't have a glue stick. Who knows whether students need glue sticks anymore? She said she had her mother ask the Johnson County, this is the kicker, her mother asked the Johnson County auditor if the ballot would still count. And while Romberg's mother said Johnson County elected officials are shorter, it would, the ballot was rejected because it was not properly sealed. Again, incredible, incredible. And then there's um, Scott County voter, uh, Joe Donna Lotz. She accidentally ripped her envelope while voting, easy to do. Um, she asked precinct workers if her ballot would still be counted, and she was told, yes, it will be counted. <laughs> and it wasn't. So the, these votes clearly should have been counted, clearly should have been counted. And if, the, if Iowa Secretary of State Paul Pay wasn't willing to do his job and make sure that that happened, well, then, you know, I don't, I don't follow Rita Hart at all for going to Congress. And, I, you know, I don't know how that would have turned out. Sure, there's a Democratic bias there. It's controlled by Democrats. But um, I would hope that they would look at the facts and, and, and rule based on that. But for, um, you know, for, for this to be politicized the way it was is shameful. And I, I would say that if it happened in the other direction. I do not like partisan politics, period. And um, I also believe every person's vote should count. And if there's a problem with glue or a tear in the ballot, or if you're told one thing by an election official at the polls, and then something else happens, your vote is not counted, even though you were told it would be, we have a problem there. So, you know, I, I don't know what's going to happen. Well, I, I guess I know what's happened. It's decided now. It's done. Um, Miller Meeks is the new uh, congressional uh, uh, congressperson from the Iowa 2nd District. Um, Rita Hart, who knows what, what will become of her future in politics. Maybe she'll run again. Um, Miller Meeks, by the way, ran four times. I give her props for being persistent. That was her fourth campaign for Congress. Uh, I, I can't imagine ever doing it more than once, but it, I, so I'm impressed with that. But, you know, I, I want to talk more about the Iowa uh, uh, voter suppression bill, but I, I look at the clock here and I think, my gosh, I just spent the entire segment talking about this, um, this congressional race. And I think that was important because it's really important to know that, um, we don't have a we don't have um, we don't have a problem in this country where we need an overhaul of voting laws. If anything, uh, there are votes that should have been counted, as indicated in this election, that weren't. We don't need to be cracking down on elections. We don't need to be making it tougher to vote absentee. We don't need to be shortening hours. We don't need to be um, refusing to let people hand water and food to people who are forced to wait in long voting lines. You know, there's so many things happening we don't need to be doing. I want to spend enough time talking about that. So we're going to say that for next week. We'll come back to that conversation next week because that bill has been, 
um, passed by both the House and Senate in Iowa and signed by the governor. Uh, I'm also hoping to have a conversation with uh, some of my contacts in Georgia about their voter repression law. But, you know, I think what happened here in Iowa is not much worse. Uh, sorry, it's not much better. It's, um, it's all bad, and it's all unneeded. The argument that we need to crack down on voter fraud is proven to be a fraudulent argument. If anything, we need to make sure that every vote gets counted, as it did not in the race in Iowa's 2nd Congressional District. And if it had, Rita Hart would probably be the congresswoman from southeast Iowa today. Anyway, um, we'll be back in a minute, folks. Uh, uh, I mean, delighted to be, uh, well, we got a very serious topic to, to discuss, the um, growing number of hate crimes against Asian Americans. We're going to be talking with Kendrew uh, Panyanovong. He's a former uh, digital director for Eddie Morrow's 2020 U.S. Senate campaign. We'll talk with him in a minute when we come back on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. With over 5,000 items to choose from, you can order groceries online and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. It's a convenient way to shop from anywhere and save time. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. Visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community. At Story County Veterinary Clinic, Dr. Kim Holding has over 30 years of experience working with all creatures great and small. Cat, dog, horse, cow, elephant. Well, if you've got a pet elephant, you may be in trouble. Kim's clients stick with her year after year because they know she'll do right by them and their pets and farm animals. So give Kim a shout to keep your animals happy and healthy. Call 515-232-8766. That's 232-8766. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. This is Ed Fallon, your host. We're broadcasting from America's heartland, from Des Moines, Iowa. Thanks to our local business partners, including Noche Jazz and Cabaret, featuring both national acts and local favorites, including Max Wellman, Gina Gedler, and Tina Haas Finley. Noche also has a cocktail bar and serves a variety of small plates. Check out Noche Jazz and Cabaret. I would like to welcome to the program Kendrew Panyanabong. He's a former digital director of Eddie Morrow's 2020 U.S. Senate campaign, and he's joining us to discuss the disturbing increase in hate crimes against Asian Americans. Kendrew, thank you for joining us. Ed, thanks for having me on. Yeah, so, uh, I mean, what, what's behind you? We hear these stories and see even video footage of um, Asians, uh, Asian people being murdered, beaten, yelled at. What's behind this? Yeah, Ed, um, you know, there, it is some disturbing times right now. Um, you know, we've seen a rising tide of anti-Asian bias um, and heinous acts of violence against the Asian um, American community. And I, I think a lot of it is kind of within the backdrop of uh, the COVID-19 pandemic. Um, the hateful rhetoric that's been spread Um from, I think, you know, since 2016 with um, Donald Trump, who took office, and uh, it's, it's toxic. It's uh, hateful rhetoric that's been spread, and I think that's kind of uh, been uh, spread to the Asian-American community, and we're seeing uh, Asian-Americans being murdered. So is it specifically because Trump called the coronavirus the, quote, uh, Chinese flu or uh, Kung, what do, you, what do you call it? Kung flu, which is so clever. Um, yeah. Is it is it that, or is it more than that? I think it's more than that. I think you know, Trump calling the COVID COVID nineteen virus, you know, the Chinese virus or the Kung flu or whatever he's he's called it. I think it's uh, I think it's a, it's a it's a contributing factor to uh, the the hate that's been going on and to the violence to the Asian American community. Um, I think from a historical perspective. Um, Asian Americans have faced a lot um, as well uh, with government sponsored acts from the Chinese Exclusion Act in the 1800s um, and such. But right now, what we're seeing uh, is definitely, I would believe, and say as an Asian American myself, um, hate crimes that are. Yeah. Um, 
what, what being it, on our community. For, the, for, for those who might not be familiar, what exactly was the Chinese Exclusion Act back in the 1800s? Yeah, the Chinese Exclusion Act at a, at a very high level was when Chinese laborers were actually immigrating to California for work. Um, a massive influx of uh, Chinese workers uh, to California. Um, this government-sponsored act um, was, was uh, I guess, enacted to ban Chinese immigrants from immigrating to this country. Yeah, I, I'm, I'm on what grounds? <laughs> I mean, we were opening the doors to every other every other nationality to come in. Huh. Right. Yeah. So, yeah, your point, though, that it goes way back, but uh, has received new fuel from uh, some of Donald Trump's rhetoric. What, what um, I mean, just so people can kind of put a face to it, what, what stories have you heard about people being uh, being impacted? Yeah. And I, you know, the fair question, and thank you for asking, I think really it's I from what I've seen, there's been many stories out there. I think Currently, it's, it's being shown on the media now. I think it's been happening for a while over the past couple of years in the rise of hate crimes against Asian Americans. Uh, specifically, I do point to the recent uh, Atlanta shootings at the at Asian uh, small businesses um, in Atlanta area um, where um, multiple Asian women were uh, killed. Um, I think of uh, a loss of... Uh, videos of these Asian hate crimes are very, very traumatizing to watch um, across social media. I, I think of uh, a, an Oakland man who was uh, murdered um, in Oakland. He was pushed and stabbed behind the back, um, just walking down the street. And uh, yeah, so I think those are the two stories that really, um, I guess, I, I, I think of. Um, I think there are a lot out there, though. It's just very traumatizing, I think, to watch, especially when it's your people. I, I think a lot of people have seen the uh, the horrific uh, incident with the uh, elderly Asian man being pushed to the ground mm-hmm. uh, in, was it San Francisco, I believe? Yeah, I think, yeah. It, I believe it was the <clears throat> Oakland area. Oakland, okay. Maybe it was the so, San Francisco area. So what, was, was there ever any... Any charges against the man who did that? Any, any? What was the follow-up to that? Do you know? Yeah, no. I uh, actually, I, it wasn't. Um, it, the case was determined that it wasn't a, a hate crime. Unfortunately, um, I think that um, with this anti-Asian bias, I think the I think Asian Americans fall kind of in a gray area with this legal framework that is kind of embedded in this country mm-hmm. of what really qualifies as a hate crime against Asian Americans. Yeah. Um, I think that's really what's triggered this conversation now. And some of the uh, conversation about what happened in Atlanta, again with the uh, the eight mm-hmm. eight eight uh, eight women being killed, six of them Asian. Uh, mm-hmm. Some of the uh, some of the um, reporting out of that that uh, tragedy indicated that the the motive was not clear, but that they did not believe it to be uh, an anti Asian bias that was behind the murders. Is that right? Is, do you see it that way, or is that uh, is that missing something? Well, I think as an Asian American, I think that we believe it's a hate crime. I think a lot of people believe um, this was definitely a hate crime or a, a violence against uh, a certain group or community. I think um, the real question would be: is you know what qualifies as a as as a hate crime? Um, I think there's a lot to unpack here right now. Um, Really, I think um, there's no really widely recognized symbol of hate against Asian Americans in this country. Um, for example, you think of a, of a noose or a swastika, and those are symbols of hate. Right, um, against the I black think, community or the Jewish community. Right. right. And I think right now there isn't really a widely recognized symbol um, of hate. So I think it's hard right now um, for Asian Americans, especially within the U.S. legal system, of what really qualifies for that. Um, That's interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought about that. Um, the, uh, you know, interesting to me, too, is at the same time that we're seeing this escalation of, of uh, uh, hate crimes against Asian Americans, we're seeing one political candidate who did phenomenally well, uh, considering it was his first run for national office. I mean, I'm talking about Andrew Yang, who, mm-hmm. um, and, and had, I mean, he didn't, he didn't fare that well on the final vote count in Iowa, New Hampshire, you know, Nevada, South Carolina, but he did remarkably well considering. Uh, I mean, there were 
there were a lot of other people running who never got as far as he did, and his appeal was way beyond uh, just the uh, just your average, you know, Democratic base. He had a, he had appealed to independent voters and even to some Republican voters. So how do you explain that at the same time we see these hate crimes increasing dramatically, you've got a Chinese American who is doing phenomenally well, uh, given it his first run for political office? Yeah, great question. And I think, you know, I think Andrew Yang was able to motivate, you know, a wide swath of bases and voter bases across this country, young, um, old, um, and, you know, Asian Americans themselves. Um, I see a lot of it as um, a, a really divided and polarized country. Um, right now within our political system, it's one way or the other, um, uh, red and blue. And I think right now, um, both have very different agendas and are motivating very different bases. Um, you know, you have one side, I believe, who, I, I mean, from my, from my own personal opinion, is feeling really hateful rhetoric, not just against Asian Americans, but against lots of other different communities, Black people, um, I mean, to note, but um, yeah, I, I just think it, I, I think it's fascinating as well. You have um, Andrew Yang, who's very high profile and Asian American himself, who ran for president, um, who is this person, entrepreneur, who's now running for uh, mayor of New York City. And then you have the rise of anti-Asian hate crimes. How can that be yeah. possible? And I guess I should say, too, that we really, we really had two Asian Americans running for president. The other was uh, Tulsi Gabbard. I mean, Samoa. Right. Samoa is, I think, technically part of Asia. <laughs> I'm not sure it's out there in the Pacific. I'm not quite sure how that falls into the uh, continental scheme. But, um, you know, uh, she's also Hindu. Uh, and when I, when I asked the, uh, the 13 people I interviewed, the 13 Iowa Trump voters I interviewed, uh, Tulsi Gabbard was by far the one that uh, they were most comfortable with among Democratic Democratic presidential candidates, but the other one who got you know some more more support than anyone else was Andrew Yang. There were I think two or three that said, yeah, I, I like Yang as well. So that's interesting to me. I so I'm, I'm not I don't know if I agree with you that that we're as divided on that. There are certainly extremists, and maybe the extremists are the ones getting the attention. But I'd like to believe that within the rank and file Republican voter, there is none of this hatred toward the Asian community. In fact, again. When I asked them which candidates they like best on the Democratic side, it's the two you know, that have uh, some connection to Asia. Ed, I think you bring up a great point. Um, I, I guess I would like to digress. I don't want to picture one party of our political system as uh, a, a party of hate. Um, I think it, it is interesting. It, it, it goes down to psychographics and behaviors of you know, you know, people who don't see through or see through color and people who do see color um i think right now i think is i find it interesting as well uh, with tulsi gabbard um i think vice president kamala harris um, oh, as well and andrew yang yeah how, how, have, how did i forget her sorry that's three <laughs> candidates who have asian descent yes yeah right so, and yeah. i i think a lot of it has to do with um you know this i i again i'm gonna say this hateful rhetoric that's against minority communities in this country um you know america is a a blending pot i mean there are lots of immigrants in this country that continue to come still to this country that um just want to provide and i think that you know we are americans as well um yeah so i really believe you know there is hate going on in this country yeah well certainly certainly that's that's clear and we've got to respond to it uh kendra uh, thank you uh, so much for taking the time to join us ed thank you so much folks we've been talking with kendra panyanavong he's a former digital director of eddie morrow's 2020 u.s senate campaign when we come back from a short break uh, kathy burns with birds and bees urban farm is going to join us and we're going to answer your april garden questions with a bunch of very Clever answers. Back in a minute on the Fallon Forum. Gateway Marketing Cafe is Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store, centrally located at ML King Parkway and Woodland Ave. Enjoy chef-crafted prepared foods, artisan baked goods, organic produce, hand-cut meats, local and international cheeses, wines, and craft beer. Gateway's Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week. Stop by or visit gatewaymarket.com for more details. Gateway Market, good food, great community.
Across the Des Moines metro, Ritual Cafe is known for its excellent fair trade coffee and fair trade tea. Ritual Cafe also serves breakfast and lunch and offers an entirely vegetarian menu. This unique venue is also known for its live music and displays of local artwork on the walls. Located on 13th Street between Locust and Grand in downtown Des Moines, Ritual Cafe is open six days a week. Make Ritual Cafe a daily part of your ritual. Welcome back to the Fallon Forum. Ed Fallon with you here, folks, broadcasting from the heartland of America, Des Moines, Iowa. Hey, thanks to our local business partners who helped make this program possible. Thanks to Gateway Marketing Cafe. That's Des Moines' locally owned grocery and specialty food store. You can now order groceries online, and the Gateway team will bring them to you curbside. Gateway Cafe is open for dine-in, carry-out, and delivery service seven days a week with catering and floral services also available. That's Gateway Marketing Cafe. I would like to welcome Kathy Burns to the program. Kathy is with Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And as we tend to do once a month, we're gonna answer your garden questions as best we can. Yes, we are. Uh, boy, what a beautiful day it was today. And we're out planting. As you may, may know, we follow some garden pages on Facebook and sometimes we see some great questions. Sometimes we see some that make us kind of smack our, <laughs> our palm upside our head. Um, but it's, it's a great group, great couple of groups to be involved with. Um, the most common question that we're seeing right now, and we've both seen this, is kind of just, just generally, what can I put in the ground now? And there's kind of a, there's a long list, and there's, there's a list of yes and a list of no, but we'll do some yeah. short lists. Now as, a, now as of the first week of April, mm -hmm. yeah, um, anything that likes cold weather, lettuce, spinach, arugula, radishes, peas, beans, carrots, beets, potatoes. And you're talking, what am I missing? Of, you're talking about seeds? Seeds Those or, the yeah, seeds. seeds uh, or the seed potatoes. And yes, those and are good. You're doing cabbage, broccoli, cauliflower, Brussels sprouts. Those plants could go get, could go in what next week probably. Yep, we're getting yeah. very close to putting our. We're hardening and off our brass. It depends on where you are too. I mean, we're in zone five. Yes. And there are parts of Iowa in different zones. There are parts of this listening audience in different zones. So you know, consult your local experts. But our philosophy is, like with voting, plant early, plant often. <laughs> Well, I'm kind of kidding about the vote often part, but, but yeah, I mean, if you plant early and something dies, I mean, you can always replant unless you're planting a massive quantity and you would lose a lot of money or seeds or plants. Mm -hmm. but, mm -hmm. but we normally don't have that happen. We, again, when you have small enough um, beds to manage, blankets, just pull them off your bed and go cold for a night while your crops stay warm. That's right. <laughs> and I'd hate to lose seedlings more yes, than seeds. So we're a little more careful with our seedlings because we've grown them from little tiny babies. And they do take a lot of work and they take product. Also, the seed starter, the potting mix when you re repot the light. into the bigger pot, the light, yeah. the, just the energy. And um, so we're a little more judicious trying not to plant seedlings too early. But even planting early, we hardly ever lose anything. That's true. No. That's true because no. we're careful. Let's skip to another question then. So I'm, I'm going to go down on my list here. Uh, how do I protect my plants from an unexpected frost? You already alluded to that, Ed. Life insurance policies. <laughs> Which we, we think of as sheets and blankets. <laughs> Don't throw out your old sheets and blankets. Uh, fold them up, put them in a bin, wherever you store things like that, and... Keep track of the weather. I saw some people saying, should I put milk jugs around my plants? Should I do this and that? Really, that's not that's not that great for your plants. I used I used to do the milk jug thing, mm. but um, that's because I, I think my garden was farther from my back door yeah. than most people's. Well, we and we had we had artichokes go in fairly early this year. Mm -hmm. um, they've been in about ten days now. Like the twenty first of March, I think, is when we planted them. And then we got um, three cold nights, mm -hmm. 28 one night down to 21 another night. Well, we covered them up. We put um, 
old uh, campaign yard sign uh, <laughs> wires. <laughs> save those. Save those. Take the signs off. Throw, throw them. them away or burn yeah. them, whatever you need to do. Yeah. But save the wire frames because and then we put they the, make a nice little hoop. Yeah, put the blankets over those. And we we did lose some of the exterior foliage. Uh, did did freeze when it got down to 21, but not in any real serious way. Um, the, the main heart of the plant is fine and it's starting to do well. Mm-hmm. This was an interesting question and it's a it's a new gardener so people are patient with him or her I can't remember but the question is I have an area on the north side of my house between a privacy fence and the side of the house and by the way there were some photos along with it I couldn't quite tell which was facing which direction Um, it says it's mostly in the shade it gets a bit of morning sun are there any vegetables I can plant over here that would be okay in mostly shade no <laughs> not, not really some people Sorry. were trying to, some people were trying to be very encouraging and say you may be able to do lettuces mm. uh, some greens or things that don't require a lot of sun to make sugar or starch for instance your tomatoes and I would put and hostas things. there that's what people were a lot of people were recommending some people kept they hadn't read the the question very clearly because they said if you get at least six hours of sun you can do this yeah. and that That's she your says, minimum. she says a little bit of I think it was a she a little bit of sun in the morning hmm. um, so unfortunately that is that is a no it's just a reality but there are you know there are good uses for that space too yeah. um, you can you you're, make it pretty hostas are pretty. <laughs> And, Put a uh, nice seating area. A nice uh, seating area in the shade is high priority in, a in, little table. in June, July, and August. Have yeah. your coffee out there in the morning. Yeah. Enjoy that. Uh, oh, you know, one thing I did think of, maybe they could do some mushrooms yeah. in that space. But so. you say do mushrooms, you mean like those shiitake mushrooms? <laughs> grow or? mushrooms, okay, not, okay, right, not yeah. ingest Just want to make sure them. I know what you're talking about yeah. here. <laughs> not not, I mean, not anything see. illicit. Okay, Nothing great. illicit. Um, yeah, so good question. Uh, we've already answered that. Let's see. Somebody asks, oh, this is the milk jug. I, if I put my squash seedlings under milk jugs, can I put a few plants out now? And that's kind of a no. Well, to, you can. It does have, offer some protection. Yeah. It offers some protection. But then, you know, in this time of year, well, for instance, today, it's 80 degrees outside. Tomorrow, it's maybe, well, the next couple of days be in the high 50s. So you might be protecting it from cool weather. And then you get one of those hot days and you forget to take the milk jugs off and you might kind of smother it. So it heats up fast. There's a kind of a, mm. you know, um, uh, effect of, you know, the, drawing the heat in and, and keeping it. You might wither that plant just mm. a little bit. So I'd be careful about that. But squash also, if you plant it later, you're going to do more to deter not just the squash bugs, but the vine borers. And so people are planting squash later, especially zucchini. Mm. And another little tip that we found that we think helps to to deter vine borers is to put aluminum foil around the base of the stem and submerge one end a little bit under the soil because the, that fly or moth that lays that uh, egg literally cannot lay the egg there. Then. Yeah. And, and, you know, with, with zucchini, it's okay to plant late. I mean, I know people plant sometimes after July 4th in Zone 5 in order to avoid those pests. But with a longer, with a winter squash, you've got to get it in earlier than that. Mm-hmm. And that's where I think the, uh, the wrapping the stem with the um, tinfoil helps a lot. Again, you know, if you've got a large, if you've, got, if you've got dozens and dozens of plants, that becomes harder to do. But if you just got a couple of beds worth of it or a few plants, uh, it, it, it works really well. Speaking of beds, if we have time for one more quick question. Someone had some of those corrugated metal beds that obviously have a base to them mm. and they were wondering if they had to correct soil depth to be able to do some lettuces and radishes and they even mentioned maybe peas and things i would my first suggestion is make sure you have drainage in that um yeah. those the, if anytime you have a bottom to your planting space you really want to watch the drainage yeah and those plants don't need too much uh, depth but uh, mm-hmm. overall it's just better to have as much depth as possible especially when you're talking about about uh, corn or mm-hmm. tomatoes right yeah right. a bunch of other things artichokes 
Artichokes will go down as far as they can. That is They'll a, go down to the uh, core of the earth if they can pull it up. <laughs> Don't put parsnips there. <laughs> right. Do, how, how big did you grow that parsnip? I, well, I had one, one parsnip once that was five inches across at the top and 18 inches long. That's it excessive. It was the monster parsnip. That's excessive. Yeah. That's as excessive as our turnip uh, <laughs> produce from last year. Well, we have so many turnips. We're still eating turnips like crazy. Actually, a turnip would, would do all right. It, it, it has the big bulb, and then it has a root under that. But it would do all right and a little bit shallow. And one word about shallow. planting. I mean, there are some things that are better left to be planted in the fall. I mean, we plant turnips the first week of August and harvest a bumper crop in October. Yep. And we also They're plant. Sweet. Yeah, we plant carrots, uh, uh, beets. Uh, I mean, we plant them in the spring as well. But carrots and beets tend to work fine as a fall crop as well. Mm -hmm. um, but turnips best as a fall crop in, in our experience. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. Anyway, um, any more questions there? Last one. Uh, I, I just, just basically, how excited is everyone? Somebody had a "What's your favorite <laughs> thing to do right now?" And I think we're all excited. Some people are just saying they always end up planting too much. Yeah, that'd be hard to do. <laughs> Kathy, thanks for joining us, folks. We're talking with Kathy Burns of Birds and Bees Urban Farm. Uh, thanks also to Kendrew Panyanavong, our other guest on today's program. And thanks to our local business sponsors, Gateway Market, Architecture by Synthesis, Story County Veterinary Clinic, Noche Jazz and Cabaret, and our nonprofit partners as well, Bold Iowa and Birds and Bees Urban Farm. And thanks to the, uh, thanks to the Des Moines band Brother Trucker for providing our bumper music. Thanks to our production team of Sherry Herdina and Kathy Burns. Please subscribe to the Fallon Forum on Stitcher, Apple Podcast, or your preferred podcast platform. And you can follow the Fallon Forum on Facebook as well. Thanks for tuning in, folks. This is Ed Fallon, your host for the Fallon Forum. <laughs>